You are listening to the Today I Found Out podcast, where each weekday we provide an interesting story that is going to feed your brain. You can read more great articles like this by going to todayifoundout.com. Hello, you are listening to episode number 200 of the Daily Knowledge Podcast from todayifoundout.com. And in the episode today, you're going to learn the story of the man where the civil war began in his front yard and ended in his parlor. Following that, there's going to be a brief word from our fantastic sponsor, Harry's The Shaving Company. And then there's going to be a bonus Y article about why some coins in circulation today have ridges on the edges. So let's just get started with today's show. The war began in my front yard and ended in my parlor. This statement about the start and end of the US Civil War was spoken by Wilma McLean and is surprisingly almost perfectly true. A little background. Wilma McLean was born on the 3rd of May, 1814 in Alexandria, Virginia, one of 14 children. When his parents passed away at an early age, McLean was raised by various family members. At 39, McLean married a widow by the name of Virginia Mason, who had two daughters from a previous marriage. Mason also inherited her family's 1,200-acre Yorkshire plantation, located in Bull Run, Virginia. Life was peaceful at the Yorkshire plantation, with McLean working as a fairly successful wholesale grocer. As tensions mounted between the North and South, McLean, a retired military man, former member of the Virginia militia with the rank of major and current slave owner, offered to let his plantation be used by the Confederate Army, and it was soon put into service as the headquarters for General PGT Beauregard of the Confederacy. McLean welcomed General PGT Beauregard to stay at his house on July the 17th, 1861. The next night, July the 18th, 1861, General Beauregard was sitting at McLean's dining room table when his dinner was interrupted. General Beauregard wrote about the event in his diary. A comical effect of this artillery fight, which added a few casualties to both lists, was the destruction of the dinner of myself and staff by a federal shell that fell into the fireplace of my headquarters at the McLean house. What followed was the First Battle of Bull Run, also known as the Battle of First Manassas. Although the Civil War technically started at Fort Sumter on April 12, 1861, besides being the first major land battle of the war, the First Battle of Bull Run is generally marked as the point when the war began in earnest. During the Battle of Bull Run, the Union soldiers were initially able to push back the Confederate troops, despite the impressive efforts of Confederate Colonel Thomas Jackson. Jackson earned his nickname Stonewall for holding the high ground at Henry House Hill. In the afternoon, Confederate reinforcements arrived and were able to break through the Union lines. The Union troops were forced to retreat all the way back to Washington, D.C. Their retreat was a slow one, as it was delayed by onlookers from Washington who wanted to watch the battle unfold. After the First Battle of Bull Run, the McLean household was used as a Confederate hospital and a place to hold captured Union soldiers. The Confederate Army paid rent to the McLean family during their stay, a total of $825, about $21,000 today, over the course of the war. McLean also made a small fortune running sugar and other supplies through the Union blockade to the Confederacy. McLean started to fear for the safety of his growing family when the Second Battle of Bull Run started in 1862. His house and lands were in disarray from the war, so he decided to make a fresh start in southern Virginia. After scouring the area, McLean found a nice two-story cottage in Appomattox, Virginia, about 120 miles south of his home in Bull Run. Here, he hoped to stay, away from the war and all of the problems it had caused his family. 
The MacLean family enjoyed a few years of peace and quiet in this way, but in 1865, MacLean found the Civil War at his front steps once again, with the Battle of Appomattox Courthouse started on the morning of April 9, 1865. Prior to this battle, General Robert E. Lee was forced to abandon the Confederate state capital of Richmond, Virginia, after the Siege of Petersburg. Heading west, Lee hoped he would be able to connect with Confederate troops in North Carolina. The Union troops pursued Lee and his forces until they were able to cut off the Confederate retreat. Lee then made his final stand at Appomattox Courthouse and was forced to surrender as his troops were overwhelmingly outnumbered, four to one. A messenger sent to McLean informed him of the Confederate intentions to surrender and asked him to find a location where the surrender could take place. On the afternoon of April 9th, Palm Sunday, General Robert E. Lee met with Lieutenant General Ulysses S. Grant in McLean's parlor to officially surrender. The terms of surrender were generous to Lee and his army. None of his soldiers were held for treason or imprisoned. His men could take their horses home for spring planting, and the starving Confederate troops received food rations. While this time around, McLean's house didn't get partially blown up, after the Confederates surrendered, Union soldiers started taking tables, chairs, and any other household items from McLean as souvenirs to remember this historic event. A few soldiers gave McLean money as he protested the theft of his household items. For instance, the table that General Lee signed the surrender document on was purchased by General Edward Ord for $40, about $1,000 today. In the days that followed the surrender, the McLean House was used as the headquarters for Major General John Gibbon of the United States Army. It was also at this time that local civilians started visiting the house and taking any part of the home they could get their hands on. McLean did manage to continue to make some money off this for a time, selling many items supposedly in the house during the signing. He reportedly sold enough items in this way to furnish an entire apartment complex. So those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that Harry's is a regular sponsor and they, when they first started sponsoring the show, sent me one of these fantastic, beautiful shaving kits. It was really so much better than everything I'd shaved with before and also much more affordable. $15 gets you a set that includes an amazing handle, three blades and shaving cream and it's all shipped to your door so you don't even have to go outside. Now not only are they making this easier to do by shipping it to your door and such, but it's also, you can tell that it's a high quality product and I was talking to Jeff who's the co-founder of the company and he was saying they just recently purchased a 93 year old German factory to make the blades just right and you can really tell in the quality of the product. So if you want to get one of these fantastic shaving kits all you need to do is go to harrys.com and use the promo code daily and you'll save five dollars off your first purchase. Again that's go to harrys.com and use the promo code daily to save five dollars off your first purchase. So a big thanks to Harry's for sponsoring the show and I'm sure you'll be very happy using them. Why some coins have ridges Putting ridges on some coins in America got its start back in the 1700s. At that time, coins were actually made of materials that were worth what the coin was. For example, a half-dollar silver coin contained 50 cents worth of silver. Likewise, a $10 gold coin contained $10 worth of gold. As a consequence of this, people started to shave off bits of these coins around the edges, so now a $10 gold piece contained, say, only $9.50 worth of gold. The payoff came from that if they were very careful when they shaved the coins, it was very difficult to tell that anything had been shaved off, so they could still generally get their $10 worth out of their now $9.50 piece. Over time, they'd collect the shavings and, when they had a large enough amount, go and sell them. 
Eventually, the government decided to do something about this, and one of the methods used to combat this practice was to add ridges to these coins, something known as reading the coins. With the ridges on the edges, it became significantly more difficult to shave anything off the coins without detection. They chose not to do this with smaller valued coins that came out later, pennies and nickels, because the metals these coins were made of weren't valuable enough for shaving them to be worth the effort. So, that was then. Why do they still do it today when the coins are no longer made of valuable metals? Initially, supposedly it was because it was easier and cheaper than modifying the existing machinery. Today, however, it is to help the visually impaired to more easily distinguish between coins of a somewhat similar size, like a penny and a dime. This is something unfortunately not done with today's American paper money, which is indistinguishable to blind people without resorting to tricks like folding them certain ways for different bills or braille money stampers. The blind still need someone to tell them what the bill is in the first place when they receive it, so they can do whatever they do to it to be able to distinguish it later on. Although, supposedly, the government is working on this problem, with one of the most popular suggested solutions being to adopt the new Canadian system of imprinting the bills with Braille. And now for today's bonus facts. General Lee was offered the position of head of the Union Army by Abraham Lincoln, but decided to lead the Confederate Army instead, as he couldn't bring himself to lead troops against his native Virginia. Despite the Confederates being vastly outnumbered and not as well equipped as the North, Lee and his right-hand man, Stonewall Jackson, managed to post victory after victory against the North, primarily due to Lee's brilliance, Jackson's audacity, and the North's moronic and sometimes timid generals. Bonus fact 2. Joshua L. Chamberlain was the last Civil War soldier to die of wounds incurred in the Civil War, managing to live until 1914 with lingering health problems from wounds inflicted during the war. He also has the distinction of being one of the few soldiers to be battlefield promoted to general. Bonus fact 3. Even though McLean made some money during the war by renting out his house and much more by running sugar for the Confederacy, he had little to show for it after the war. McLean was paid entirely in Confederate notes, a currency that no longer existed after the fall of the Confederacy. In 1865, his house was foreclosed on for $3,060, about $46,000 today. After losing the house and having very little money to his name, McLean moved with his family back to Alexandria, Virginia. There, McLean lived out the rest of his life as an IRS auditor. He retired at the age of 66 and passed away two years later. Bonus Fact 4 One in 13 veterans of the Civil War became amputees because of the war. Bonus Fact 5 During the American Civil War, the Union soldiers blocked many supply lines to the Confederacy. Due to this, there were mass shortages of a variety of things. One such shortage that resulted was that newspaper officers ran out of paper. Instead, some took to using wallpaper to print their newspapers. This was not ripped from parlor walls, as some books mistakenly state, but rather new rolls of wallpaper that were available. Some editions of the Confederate papers were even printed on other substitutes like brown wrapping paper, blue ledger paper, and even tissue paper. You just listened to an episode of the Today I Found Out Daily podcast. Tune in every weekday for another great episode, or find more articles at todayifoundout.com.